Well, some of you know, but uh, in the 39 years that uh, God's given me so far, I've been blessed with the opportunity to have uh, traveled all over the world. I've been to 30 uh, countries on six continents, and I've, uh, I've done a lot of studying of the world's religions. I've done some teaching on, on world religions, and you know, when you travel around the world, it, it never ceases to amaze me to see what people around the world will worship today. You know, as uh, many noted scholars have observed, when people refuse to worship the one true God, instead of worshiping nothing, they'll worship anything. And we really see this when we go around the world. If we were to go, for example, today to Xi'an, China, and visit the Famen Temple, the Famen Temple where millions of uh, Buddhist devotees every year make a pilgrimage to go and pray before a shrine of the Buddhist finger. They go to pray to the Buddhist finger seeking blessing, seeking prosperity, seeking good luck. We could go, for example, to Bangkok, Thailand, to the famous Temple of Ganesh, the Hindu elephant god. Every year, millions of Hindus go and they pray before Ganesh. They bring offerings of food and rice and money and lay them before Ganesh, hoping that it will help them to be reborn into a better life in their next reincarnation. This past year in the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church has been taking a vial of Pope John Paul II's blood on a world tour. Catholics in cities all over the world, millions of Catholics have been lining up for hours waiting for a chance to kiss the chalice containing the vial of the Pope's blood so that they might purge themselves of time in purgatory. We could go, for example, to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia and uh, visit the famous Batu Caves where every year millions of Hindus go and they bow down and they worship the idol of the python, the serpent, the snake, seeking to give penance and forgiveness so that they might somehow be reborn into a better life in their next lifetime. How foolish, friends. In fact, the Apostle Paul describes the idolatry of man in Romans 1, 22 through 25, like this, the Apostle Paul says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Paul calls it foolishness. Now, it's easy for us to point out the blatant idolatry in other people's lives. But friends, really, when we stop to think about it, don't we all have our own idols? Don't we all wrestle with our own idols? Ours may not be elephants and pythons, but if we're being honest about it, I think we all wrestle with idolatry. All of us on our own way regularly exchange the truth of God for a lie. You see, what's an idol? An idol is anything that competes for our worship over and against the true and living God. An idol is anything that we turn to as our source of joy or security or hope other than the one true God. And if we're being honest about it, all of us wrestle with our idols. 
You know, I brought a bag here this morning. It's got a few of, a, few of the common idols that many of us wrestle with. In fact, a number of these are, are some of my own personal idols that I've wrestled with over the years. You know, for some of us, our idol might be our checkbook or our bank account, how much money we've saved up, how much money we're earning. Now, to be honest with you, this isn't a really big idol for me right now because if you took a look, I don't have a whole lot in here. But, <laughs> but for some of us, our, our money has become our idol. And, you know, to be honest with you, not having a lot of money can be an idol too. For some of us, our idol might be the scale, might be our body image, our self-worth tied to how much we weigh, how good we look. A lot of us wrestle with the idolatry of the scale. For some of us, our idol might be something a little bit seemingly more benign, but sometimes just as idolatrous, maybe a hobby, maybe it's fishing, Maybe it's golf, anything that you turn to as your source of joy, security, peace, other than the one true God. For some of us, our idols might be things like material possessions. Maybe it's that new car you've been saving up for, and you think, man, if I can just get that new car, then I'm going to be happy. Materialism becomes a false idol for many of us. For, for some of us, our, our idol is our computer, our iPad how many friends we have on Facebook, how many followers we have on Twitter, how much time we spend, the websites we visit, the games we play. For many people, technology has become their idol. For some of us, our idol has become our sports teams. I don't, I don't know how this got in my bag. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, for a lot of us, we can turn our favorite sports teams or athletes into a false idol in our life. There's a whole bunch of different idols that compete for our allegiance. In fact, our world is full of idols that compete for our allegiance. But today, friends, there's a foundational question that we need to come to terms with if we're ever going to deal honestly with our idolatry. And that foundational question is this. Who sits on the throne of my heart? Who sits on the throne of my heart? You see, friends, out of all the idols in the world, the biggest competitor to the one true God of the universe, it's ultimately me. It's the God of me. You see, friends, all of us have a throne that resides within our hearts. And that throne only has room for one Lord, one ruler. And at the end of the day, only one of two people is going to reign from that throne on your heart. It's either going to be Jesus or it's going to be you. So today, I want us all to ask ourselves this question. Who sits on the throne of my heart. You know, friends, there's really only four ways that we can answer this question. And all of us today will answer this question in one of four ways. We'll all fall into one of four camps this morning when you think about this question, who sits on the throne of my heart? For some of us, we'll answer this question like this. 
Not Christ, but I. Jesus doesn't sit on the throne of my heart. I sit on the throne of my heart. This is the person who has no interest in letting anyone but themselves sit on the throne of their heart. It's the person like the rich young man described in Mark chapter 10. You might recall the story. One day a rich young man comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to this rich young man, he says, You know the commandments. And this young man says, well, that's great. I've kept all the commandments since I was a boy. And Jesus says, but there's one thing you still lack. You need to go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and then come follow me and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And what does Mark tell us? Mark says, when this young man heard this news, his face fell and he turned around and he walked away sad because he had great wealth. His stuff, his money had become an idol in his life. His idol was his money, his possessions, his stuff. Friends, can you imagine that? You're standing before the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things, face to face, and yet you're willing to walk away from God and human flesh because you love your stuff. Not Christ, but I. My friend Mark Cahill, some of you have read Mark Cahill's book, The One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven. I know some of our women here did a small group study on Mark's book. Mark's a a famous evangelist, travels around the world and uh, sharing the gospel. And in his book, The One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven, he tells a story about a time he had the chance to witness to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, probably the greatest basketball player who's ever lived. Mark Cahill, he was a college basketball player at Auburn University, and he was roommates with Charles Barkley. And so he's buddies with a lot of these famous NBA basketball stars. And he tells a story about uh, one weekend he was speaking in Phoenix, and Charles Barkley invited him over to his house. He was having a bunch of NBA stars over for a party, and these guys were all gathered together, and they were drinking and playing poker. And Mark Cahill was there, and he went along and started hanging out with these guys who were friends of his from back in the day. And while they were all drinking and playing poker, Mark was sharing the gospel with them. And while they were hanging out, most of the guys were kind of blowing them off the whole time. And later that night, though, he saw Michael Jordan sitting off by himself. And so he went over to talk to Michael Jordan. And he said, Michael, what do you think about all that stuff I was sharing with you earlier? Michael Jordan said to my friend Mark, he said, Mark, you know what? I believe everything you're saying. But then Michael Jordan said this. He says, but I know what it would mean for my life if I trusted in Jesus and I like my life. Not Christ, but I. Others, and maybe some of us here today, would answer this question, who sits on the throne of my heart, like this. I and Christ. I and Christ. This person believes in Jesus Christ, but Jesus really isn't on the throne of their hearts. They want some Jesus, but they still want to be the one calling the shots in their life. Now, there's a few different versions of this person. For some people, Jesus is just a lucky charm. 
Jesus is their lucky charm, the guy they go to when they need something from him. Sort of reminds me of the story we're told in Mark chapter 10, 35 through 37, where Jesus' disciples, James and John, they come to Jesus. Jesus' two disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. How arrogant. Think about that. Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. A lot of people in our world approach Jesus just like that. He's their lucky charm. He's their magic totem. He's their lucky rabbit's foot. Jesus, I want you to do for me anything I ask. Never mind the fact I ignore you the rest of the time, but here's what I want you to do for me, Jesus. For other people, Jesus is just an accessory. He's a religious accessory. Something they can call on when needed. He's convenient to pull out during Christmas or Easter for weddings and funerals or times of personal crisis, but otherwise he generally stays tucked away where he won't bother anybody. I remember back in the days following the tragic events of 9-11. Remember in the days and weeks following 9-11 how America was supposedly turning back to God. Remember people were coming back to church who hadn't been in church for years. Stadiums, football stadiums all around the country were holding massive prayer vigils, thousands of people coming together to pray. Even the secular media was talking about this great awakening, this revival, a spiritual revival happening in our country. Friends, how long did that last? Not very long, did it? Jesus was just an accessory. For some people, Jesus is just a fire insurance policy. He's their get-out-of-hell-free card. They want Jesus the Savior, just not Jesus the Lord. I and Christ. Now here's the question, friends. Can a person in this camp be saved? Sometimes. Maybe. But I'll tell you something, friends. It's not a very safe place to be. You know, any time your attitude is, what's the least amount of Jesus I need to still be okay? You're probably not okay. Now here's the deal. If this is you this morning, I want you to hang with me for a few minutes because I got a word for you later. The third type of answer to this question, who sits on the throne of my heart? A third person answers this question, Christ and I. Christ and I. Now, this person has accepted Jesus as their Savior. They would even acknowledge him as Lord, but they don't always live with him as the Lord of their lives. This person probably represents many of us in the church today. Christ and I. Their motivations and desires are mixed between God's will and the things of the world. We see a powerful example of this type of person in Scripture in the Apostle Peter. You know, the Apostle Peter, all through the Scriptures, he's one of those guys who seem to always be wrestling with following Jesus as Lord and then kind of doing things his way, you know? And we see an example of this, especially the night of the Last Supper. 
before Jesus was arrested and then his ultimate trial and crucifixion. You remember what Jesus said to Peter the night of the Last Supper? He said, Peter, tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And what did Peter say? Peter said, no, Jesus, no way. Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison. I'm even ready to go to my death for you, Jesus. And yet later that night, he denies Jesus three times. What did Peter do? He basically said, Jesus is Lord as long as it doesn't cost me. Now, friends, it's easy for us to look back at Peter 2,000 years later and beat him up over his denying Christ that evening. But if we stop and think about it for a moment, you know, don't we all deny Jesus at times? Don't we all wrestle with counting the cost of following him, of trusting in him, of putting him as the Lord of our lives, when we doubt his promises and faithfulness, when we question our self-worth as children made in God's image, when we choose our will over his, when we turn to the world for pleasure instead of turning to God. Friends, in all these cases, we're taking Jesus off the throne of our hearts. And you know something, friends, there's a word for that. It's called compromise. When we deny Jesus, we compromise. And while compromise is an offense against our holy God, friends, I, I really believe that God mourns over our compromise not just because it's an offense against his holiness, but he mourns over our compromise because of what he knows it does to us. Our compromise breaks God's heart because he knows what it does to us. Because when we compromise, we quench the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we compromise, we quench the joy and the fullness of life that God has for us. We miss out on the fullness of life that God intends for us when we compromise. You guys remember what Jesus said was the reason he came into this world? In John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Friends, that's God's plan and hope for each one of, each one of us here. Jesus came that we might know life and life to the full. That's what he wants for you. And Jesus, you know, he, he calls us, he invites us on this incredible journey. He says, I want you to follow me. I want you to walk with me. I've got this incredible journey for you. And if you'll just follow me and trust me, you will, you're going to experience the fullness of life. You're going to know life and life to the full. It's going to be awesome. But here's the deal. A lot of times we start out on this journey with Jesus and we say, hold on, Jesus, I'm, I'm right with you here. But I just got a few things here I want to bring along with me. And we pick up some of these idols that we've carried along with us throughout our lives. And, and we say, Jesus, I'm right with you. Hold on. I'm just coming. I'm just going to carry some of this stuff with me. Because, you know, some of these things I've had with me for quite a while. And you, Jesus, hey, you're Lord, buddy, but this stuff means a lot. And so we start walking and we got this burden on our backs. And Jesus is all along calling us just, you know, come on, join me. I've got life and life to the full. And so we start walking with Christ, but we're carrying along these idols, and all of a sudden we come along and we say, oh, hold on, Jesus, Jesus, just wait a second here, hold on. Um, Jesus, uh, 
Now, I know you told me that this stuff, this wasn't good for me, and, but man, this looks good. This just sure looks appealing. And, you know, I, I've always wanted one of these, Jesus. And, uh, you know, if you don't mind, just give me a second. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw this in. So we pick up these things that become idols in our lives and we stash them away and then we, we take up the journey again and now the burden's even heavier and we walk along and we keep moving along. Jesus, hold on a second here. Um, man, now Jesus... I know you want me to follow you and I know you want me to be committed and dedicated to you and you, Jesus, you're the Lord, but would, can, can I have a few months, maybe a year? Um, you know what, I, I just, I got some stuff I need to do in my life right now. I got some stuff I need to take care of and, and Jesus, I promise, as soon as I get this stuff straightened out, as soon as I get my job figured out, as soon as I get my company in order, as soon as I get that bank account all figured out, Jesus, I promise I'm gonna be right back with you. So just give me some time here, Jesus. And, and so we, we pick up these things and they become idols in our lives and we stash them away and then we pick up this burden again and we keep walking. And look, at I'm still following Jesus and he's still right there calling me to join him but I'm not experiencing life and life to the full because I've got this burden that is quenching the power of the Spirit in my life. It's quenching the fullness of joy that God has for me because I'm carrying this weight around with me while I'm trying to follow Jesus and experience life to the full. But this isn't life to the full. This is a burden and it's beating me up and Jesus weeps over this. He weeps over this because not only is it an offense against his holy will, but he weeps because he loves us and he wants us to know life and life to the full and he knows what these idols do to us. And so we keep walking along and we stop for a moment. We say, Jesus, I know you told me I could trust you in all situations. And I know, Jesus, you've, you've promised to be faithful, but Jesus... You don't know what I'm going through right now. And Jesus, you don't know how hard this circumstance in my life is right now. And, and Jesus, I'm just not sure I can, I can fully trust you. And we doubt his promises and we pick up more and more idols. And we stash those away and pretty soon this burden becomes really heavy. And friends, this isn't life. This is certainly not life to the full. And God weeps for his children as we carry around this garbage. And all along, Jesus is saying, just let it go. Would you just let it go? I've got so much more for you. Let it go. Friends, you want to know how to have life and have it to the full? Do you want to know the secret it's found in the Apostle Paul's answer to the question, who sits on the throne of my heart? What was Paul's answer? It's found in Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, Paul Paul says, not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. Paul understood that the secret to experiencing life to the full is to place Jesus on the throne of our heart. He must increase and we must decrease. And friends, this is where life is found. This is where, where real joy is found. 
This is where real contentment is found. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul explained it like this. He says, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. Friends, that's the secret to life, to life to the full, to experiencing joy and peace and contentment and satisfaction no matter your circumstances. It's about putting Christ first on the throne of our hearts. And here's the deal, the life and joy that God has for us, it's not like the false idols of the world. It's a contentment, it's a peace, it's a security that's with us at all times and in all circumstances. And the false idols of the world that we so often pick up and carry along with us, they never satisfy. They never satisfy. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon He talks about how he pursued all the different idols in the world. And at the end of the day, what does he say? He says they're vanity. He calls them vanity. Friends, what is vanity? What is vanity? That's vanity. Bubbles. Here today, gone tomorrow. They look pretty for a season but then poof, they're gone. The false idols of the world offer nothing more than buyer's remorse, friends. They make these promises that they can't keep. They're worth far more than their, they they cost far more than they're worth. And all along, Jesus is saying, I have life and life to the full. You know what, friends? I've never once had buyer's remorse with Jesus. I got a whole bag full of idols I can tell you about where I've experienced plenty of buyer's remorse. See, it's all about priorities. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus gives us the secret to knowing life and life to the full. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And then all these things will be given to you as well. You see, friends, all of us, our lives are are like a pyramid. And and our pyramid is made up of those things in our life that are important to us, that that are valuable to us, that are meaningful and special, the things in our lives that we love. And and each block of the pyramid represents another one of these things that is important to us, our friends, our family, our kids, our, our, our church, Jesus, our job, our money. And we plug in these blocks in the pyramid of our life in the order of their priority and their importance to us. But Jesus says, I want to be that top block. I want to be the pinnacle of your life. I want to be the focal point of your life. And Jesus promises us when we put him in the pinnacle of our life, he says, then everything else will fall into place. That's what he's talking about. Seek first me and my kingdom, and then all these things will be added unto you as well. But here's the problem. So oftentimes, we take these blocks in our pyramid, the pyramid of the priorities of our lives, and we start shuffling them around. And we say, Jesus, well, you know, I'm just going to put you down here into the second or third tier for a little bit, because right now, Jesus... 
my job is just, I just need to focus on this. And Jesus, you're still right up there, but I just got to put something else in that place first. And we do that enough and long enough, and pretty soon we stop to step back and we look at our lives and we say, why is my life falling apart? Why aren't things working? Why do things not make sense? And it's because we've taken Jesus off the throne of our heart and we've moved him down in the pyramid of our priorities to the second, to the third, to the fourth tier, and we've put other things in his place. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. Now, here's the deal, friends. You need to understand this. God is not promising you health, wealth, and prosperity. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying, put me first, put me on the throne of your life, and I'm going to make you rich. You're never going to get sick. You're never going to have any trials in life. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That's not what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is talking about is when you put me first, then you will know joy, you will know life and life to the full, you will have satisfaction and peace and contentment. That is where true life is found. That's what I'm talking about. Because, friends, when Jesus is on the throne of your heart, nothing can shake you. Nothing can shake you. This is why Hebrews 6.19 calls our hope in Jesus an anchor for the soul. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Because when Jesus is on the throne of our hearts, friends, it doesn't matter what the storm is that's raging around you. It doesn't matter what the trials in your life might be. It doesn't matter what difficulties in your circumstances you're facing right now. Because Jesus, when he's on the throne of our heart, he is an anchor for our soul, firm and secure, and we will not be moved. We cannot be shaken. And in him, no matter our circumstances, we will know life and life to the full. I mean, go back to the Apostle Paul for, for a minute. You remember the, the life of the Apostle Paul? Man, you read the book of Acts, that guy, that guy went through the ringer. One time the Romans, they arrested Paul, and they say, Paul, if you don't stop preaching about Jesus, we're going to beat the snot out of you. We're going to torture you, Paul. Paul said, great, I'll be able to identify with the sufferings of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, okay, smart guy, you think that's going to be fun, huh? All right, well, we're not going to beat you, Paul. We're going to put you in prison. See what you think about that. We're not only going to put you in prison, we're going to chain you to a new guard every four hours. What do you think about that, Paul? Paul says, praise the Lord. I'll be able to witness to a new guard every four hours. And In fact, that's about as long as it takes me to get through that four spiritual laws book anyway. Right? <laughs> and they say, oh, you think that's, think that's good, huh? All right, Paul. We're not going to beat you. We're not going to put you in prison. We're going to kill you, Paul. What do you think about that? Paul says, praise the Lord, because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Friends, what do you do with a guy like that? Anything you want. It doesn't matter when Jesus is on the throne of your heart, when Jesus is the anchor for your soul. Because that is where life and life to the full is found. Now some of you might be here and you're thinking this morning, but Jason, I've pushed Jesus off the throne of my heart for too long. I've pushed him off the throne of my life too many times. Jason, there's no way that God would give me the kind of life that you're talking about. But friends, if that's what you think, you don't understand who our God is. 
one of the greatest stories in the Bible. In fact, one of the greatest stories in all of human history. It's found in the book of Luke, chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. This young man who came from a wealthy, privileged family, he had a father that loved him. He had all of his physical, material needs met. He had everything a guy could want. But one day he decided that he wanted to be the one calling the shots in his life. And so he went to his dad and he said, Dad, I want my inheritance today. Essentially told his dad, Dad, you're dead to me. I want my money today and I'm going to go out and I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. I'm going to live it on my terms and I don't care about you anymore. I'm going to go do things the way I want to do them. And his father gave him his inheritance and this young man, he went off to a faraway land And he lived it up, he partied, he slept around, he did everything his heart desired. And after a few years went by, this young man had squandered all of his inheritance. He found himself working in a pig farm, shoveling pig slop. And he said to himself, my dad's servants have it better than this. And then Jesus tells us, The young man finally realizing the dire straits he was in, he he said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. And in probably the greatest verse in the Bible, maybe, arguably, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, And filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Friends, this young man's father had been watching and waiting the whole time for his son to come home. And when his son came home, his father didn't wait for him to come and beg and grovel. His father ran to his son and wrapped his arms around him and loved him and said, my boy who was lost has come home. Friends, that's who our God is. That's who our God is. And it doesn't matter how many times you've pushed him off the throne of your heart. It doesn't matter if he's never ever once even seen the throne of your heart. If you're willing to turn, you have a heavenly father who loves you and will welcome you home with open arms. Who sits on the throne of your heart today? Friends, I don't care how you would have answered that question five minutes ago. God doesn't care how you would have answered that question five minutes ago. All that matters today is that you turn and you trust in your heavenly father who stands there watching and waiting and longing for you to come home. He says, drop all this garbage. Get rid of this stuff. It's just, it's killing you and you don't even realize what you're missing out on. Just come home. Come home, because I love you. We'll start fresh again. That's who our God is. I hope you know him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I confess this morning that I myself wrestle with idols. And Jesus, I just want to ask your forgiveness for the times that I take you off the throne of my heart, relegate you to the second or third tier for other things. Lord Jesus, so many of us wrestle with the temptations and the trials of this world, and and all along, here you are just beckoning us to come home to you.
Trust me, put me first, seek me first, and then all these things will be added unto you. You'll know life, you'll know peace, you'll know contentment. God, forgive us for when we doubt your promises. Lord, I don't know everybody here this morning, and I don't know how they would answer that question, who sits on the throne of my heart. And like I said, to you, God, I, you don't even care how they would answer that question five minutes ago. What matters is right now, to any of us who would call on the name of the Lord, for any of us who would turn to you, you have an incredible promise. In John 1, verse 12, you say to the, all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. Man, what a privilege. Jesus, if there's anybody here who hasn't known the joy of being a child of God, I pray, God, that they would just turn their life over to you right here this morning. In a simple prayer, confess their sins. Admit their need for a Savior and acknowledge their desire to trust in you as the Lord of their lives. Jesus, if there's any of us here today who recognize, man, I just, man, I love Jesus and I've trusted in him and I know he's the Lord, but I just haven't been living consistently with him as the Lord of my life. God, if that's where we are this morning, give us the courage to drop our garbage, to drop the stuff we've been putting first in our lives over you. Help us turn back to you, Lord, with a repentant heart to seek you first, and to know the joy that comes with you living on the throne of our hearts. God, we thank you for your incredible and measurable grace. Man, I would be desperate without it. But you're so faithful, Jesus. Help us to know that faithfulness. We pray this in your name. Amen.